0: Good. It is
1: good to see you this morning. And like I will echo Pastor Walker's sentiment, if you're a visitor this morning, we welcome you. Uh, it's good to have you. Thank you for taking your Sunday and being with us. We have special visitors. My Aunt June and Uncle Larry are here. It's good to see you all. Uh, they probably traveled the furthest distance to be here this morning. Drove quite a way to get to Missouri, didn't you? 3,000 miles. So just to hear me preach. They're going to be sadly disappointed. (laughs) You're not going to ask me for gas money back, are you, or anything? (laughs) Because you may. I'm just teasing. God is good. If you were here last week, we we jumped into Luke's gospel and we talked about Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus in the desert, Jesus in the Jesus being tempted by the enemy, and. Um I'm, I'm reading from Luke in my personal devotion, and I've been in Luke for a long time because lately I noticed that when I read the Bible, I read it slower and try to get it all, try to take it all in. Because anybody can just be like, you know, in the beginning was a, you know, blah, 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 blah. You can go through it and not catch anything. I like we will read a chapter, and then I'll think about it for a day or two, and then that'll be what I think about, and then I'll listen to it, and then I'll reread it, and then I'll go back and read it again and and trying to glean everything I can out of it. And I know we talked about Jesus in the desert last week, but I think that there's more there to be gleaned. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke's Gospel, the fourth um, chapter. When I was writing in my notes, I wrote that I, I, just, couldn't get, uh, I just couldn't walk past the desert, um, this desert experience, and I was writing that out in my iPad suggested for me, instead of desert, dessert. Because it, it must use the camera to look at who's typing it in. <laughs> it must know that I like dessert and have a hard time walking past dessert. Because I was typing, I couldn't, I couldn't walk past the desert. And it's like, that boy can't walk past the dessert. <sighs> it would be, it wouldn't, <laughs> it'd be funny if it wasn't so true. But in Luke's Gospel, fourth chapter. And we are over a week now into Lent season. And if you had decided to give anything up for Lent, you, you're now beginning to realize how hard it is to say no to yourself. Um, because it is, because it's, some of us have the gift of no when it comes to others, right? We're like Tim Hawkins. Like we can say no to other people all the time, but when it comes to saying no to ourselves, that's a whole different story. I told uh, the church last week, and if you weren't here, for Lent this year, and I'm not telling you this to brag on myself because its you, you don't enter into Lent as a way to make God happier with you. You don't give things up. It's, it, when, when we walk into the desert with Jesus, it's, we're, we're doing it with Jesus. We're doing it with God. Jesus suffered for 40 days. Jesus deprived himself for 40 days. We're doing that with him. And I decided to give up uh, meats and sweets for 40 days. And um, it's been... About a week and a half now, and I dreamt about steak tacos. <laughs> oh, it was a vivid dream, too. I mean, it was just, I don't know if you've ever been to, um, what's the place we go? El, no, not El Magüe, Kansas City, Jose Peppers. They have these steak tacos, they, and they're made with filet mignon. Oh, now, they don't compare to Oscar Steak Tacos, but I don't get to have those very often. But this is in my dream. It was these steak tacos, and it was so vivid, and they tasted so good. But we're beginning to realize, if we give stuff up, how hard it is to say no to ourselves, right? And we begin to appreciate Jesus going 40 days with no food in the desert. Something that we do with Jesus, not for him not to impress him, not to try to earn love from God, because you can't. If you, if you get anything out of our messages, please get this, you cannot earn God's love. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't. God compares his relationship to us like a parent relationship, and, and that is even, that even fails, but there is nothing that my kids can do to make me love them more, right? There's nothing. I'm always going to love them, no matter how No matter what they do, I'm going to love them. Now, kids, I don't want you to take that as, uh, oh, I can do whatever I want. Dad's always going to love me. Because there are still consequences. And they will be levied out. But God's good. We don't don't enter into a season of Lent, a season of denying ourselves to impress God or to try to appease him. We do it with him. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert. And I I stopped here briefly last week when we got here, but then I just kind of moved past it. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He's just coming out of his baptism experience. Full of the Holy Spirit, and he's led by the Spirit. But where is he led? Into the desert. Now, this is a Pentecostal church. We're assemblies of God. Pentecostal, charismatic people. We love to talk about the Spirit. Being full gospel, being infilled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. But here's where we fail sometimes. Is when we talk about being led by the Spirit, we don't talk about being led into a desert. Led into a lonely place led into a place where there is lack. We say all the time, you shall have no more lack. You will be, your coffers will be full. Uh, We say, pronounce all these great blessings over one another, and we should, and that's fine. But sometimes the Spirit leads us into a desert where there's no food and where we're lonely. And so my first point this morning is belovedness. God had just told... God had just proclaimed, you, in the third chapter, you are my son in whom I love. I am well pleased with you. We go straight from I love you to nothing to eat. Belovedness does not equal comfort. Belovedness, being loved by the Father, does not equal comfort. See, in in the United States of America, we have the luxury to preach things like if you're in the right standing with God, you're going to have great things. If you give in the offering, you're going to have all your needs met. I mean, we can preach things like that in America because most of us have clean water to drink. Most of us have a place to lay our head. Most of us aren't starving to death. But in places like India, that doesn't preach very well. Because if in India they thought to be loved means to be comfortable, then they'd all be atheists. Because in India, we had a missionary tell us, girl, young girls are sold into sex slavery. And then some of them are become believers, get saved, become believers in Jesus, but are still slaves and still have to serve their masters. And if God loves them, why are they uncomfortable? Comfort does not equal love. Belovedness does not equal comfort. Just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're not loved. Just because things aren't going well doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Just because things are hard doesn't mean God doesn't love you just as much as he loves the people in the penthouse who have, uh, you know, everything catered to their every want and need. Belovedness does not equal comfort. We make the mistake and falsely falsely and sinfully assume that God's love for us leads to comfort and I believe that it's sinful for me to try to convince you that if if you're right with God you're going to be comfortable because Paul the apostle must not have been right with God because he was in prison and got his head chopped off by Nero Peter must not have been right with God because he was led out by the same man, Nero, and crucified upside down after watching his wife get dragged out and crucified. So if comfort equals love, then the early church fathers were not loved, I guess. So comfort, just because things are going bad for you right now, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. I'm trying to encourage you today. I know it's kind of, I'm kind of going down a dark path right now. But just because things aren't great in your life right now, doesn't mean God loves you any less. God loves you with an everlasting love, with an unending love, with an undying love, and he will go to any lengths to reach you and to make you feel loved. Amen. That was my first point. Don't confuse belovedness with comfort. Don't think your lack of comfort means you aren't loved. Don't think the mess your family is in is a sign you aren't loved. Don't think your pain and suffering, your lack of good health, or your struggles are a sign that God doesn't love you. He does. You are loved. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear that. You are loved. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. That's our hope. Amen? That's your hope in your struggle. That's your hope in your discomfort. That he loves you. God loves you. It doesn't say God was so fed up with the world, or God so hated the world, or God didn't like the way things were going. It says that he loved the world. He so loved the world. Amen. Amen. Get that this morning. God loves you. Even if things aren't great, God loves you. God loves you. My second point, it comes from the temptation of Jesus. And last week we kind of jumped into the, the temptations, or two of them at least. We didn't really even have time for the third because sometimes I go on. But, we get from Hebrews, and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, we're not told who the writer of Hebrews is. Some assume that it's Paul because he mentions Timothy in his farewell. Some, some assume. I've heard some say that it's a former high priest who became a believer. Um, truth is, it doesn't really matter uh, for us today because I just want to look at what he says in Hebrews. He or she says in Hebrews two eighteen. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. If you're suffering with temptation this morning, he can help you. Why? Because he's been there. Jesus walked this earth. We, we think about Jesus and we think, oh, he walked on water. He did all these miracles. So life must have been so easy for him. We talked about it last week a little bit. He never used his power to help himself. When the devil said to him, hey, make this stone into bread, Jesus said, no. He doesn't use his power to help himself. He walked how we walked. He went through what we went through. So that, and Hebrews tells us later, so that he can empathize with us and so that he can feel what it's like to be tempted. He suffered when he was tempted. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't. It wasn't easy for Jesus to say yes to the Father. Guess what? It's not easy for us to say yes to the Father sometimes. It's not easy for us to endure temptation. It's not easy for us to go through hardships. It wasn't easy for him. He suffered when he was tempted. He suffered when he was tempted. He understands what it's like. He was tempted in every way as we are tempted, but he was without sin. And we hear that without sin part and assume that he took a shortcut where he used his divine nature to help himself. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe he was without sin. I believe he he withstood the test so that he could help us. Some of us struggle with temptation. Some of us struggle with laying things down that we know are bad for us. I know it's not good for me to get up and eat ice cream at, in the middle of the night. I don't do it very often. But if there's ice cream in the fridge and I get up and go get something to drink and there's ice cream and I'm like, hmm. Little pralings and cream. <laughs> don't mind if I do. I'm using that as, yes, that's (laughs) technically not very good for me to eat in the middle of the night like that, but some of us are tempted by things that are much worse for us than that. Some of us are tempted by things that are much worse for our families than that, that are much worse for our bodies, much worse for our communities. He was in every way tempted, as we are. Some of us struggle with things we know aren't good for us, things that are killing us. But he understands. You may say, well, nobody understands the struggle. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Jesus does. He does. That's why he came in. That's one of the reasons he came in the flesh. Was to experience. It was so that Jesus came in the flesh. And I heard it put this way one time. So that he could show God to man. And man to the divine. Because think about it. Before Jesus... (coughs) There's no way God could know what it was like to be finite, to not be able to be everywhere at once. But when Jesus came, God walked in our shoes. Amen. Okay, some of us struggle, but Jesus knows. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Jesus made the universe through God the Father. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God is like? Look at the life of Jesus. <clears throat> sustaining all things by his power, powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, that's Jesus he's speaking of, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus was part of creation. Jesus came to this earth and then he redeemed us and was glorified by the Father and now sits at the right hand of the Father, keeping everything by the power of his word. But he also knows what it's like to stand and look somebody in the eyes and want to slap them for being stupid. He knows what it feels like to be at his wits end with somebody. He knows what it's like to ask his disciples to do something and they don't do it. And he just probably just wants to pull his hair out. And he says things like, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. What is going on here? Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows your struggle. Jesus knows how you feel. When you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off, he was never cut off by a red sports car, but probably by a donkey or a wagon pulling something. (laughs) He understands what it's like to get frustrated. He understands what you're going through. He knows how it feels to stand with those who lost a loved one. He knows how it feels to look at Jerusalem and feel hopeless. Oh, Jerusalem, if only you had listened. He knows how it feels to be abandoned by friends. You know, the last, and I preached this many years ago, but man, this stuck with me. The last um, term of endearment that Jesus received on before he went to the cross was a kiss from Judas. And it was a trick. The last hug or kiss was, from, was a trick. He knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He knows how it feels to be bullied. They, they beat him. They beat him about the head. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they beat his head with a rod. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. If you're suffering with temptation this morning, Cry out to Jesus. He can get you through it. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. King James says, with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he's going to give grace to us when we're tempted. Aren't you thankful for that? You might be going through temptation. You might be going through a hard time and think there's no way out. There's no help for me. Jesus is here. Jesus is your help. Amen? Because he was tempted. Because he suffered. He understands our suffering. Amen? Amen. That's my second point. Is Jesus suffered when he was tempted. It wasn't easy peasy. It wasn't, okay, disciples, I'm going to run out and take care of this uh, 40 days in the desert. I'll be right back. Then we're going to start my ministry. We're going to go to a wedding. We're going to have a party at the wedding. Then we're really going to get things kicked off, going to start healing folk. No, it was, it was a struggle. Amen. Jesus is led into the wilderness. I read a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And um, I found this very interesting. Okay, so if, if you know much about the ministry of Jesus, you know he was baptized and he went to the desert. Then he began his ministry. Um, well, his, after his baptism in Luke, the third chapter, we have. Um, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. He was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And if you stop there, because that's the end of the quotes, and, and then the rest is narration by, by Luke, the physician. He was also a follower of Jesus, was not one of the twelve. So Luke narrates from there all the way to 4, 3. So Jesus, the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the next voice is the devil. If you are the son of God. Jesus says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit takes uh, Jesus into the wilderness. And the next voice Jesus hears is the devil. If you're really God's son. next voice God will speak to you God will speak great things to you I believe in times of prayer God will speak to you and talk to you but then the other voice will come too God will tell you you're my son I'm proud of you I love you and then you'll get outside of the church you'll get outside of uh, people who speak like that into you and you'll hear things like you're worthless God doesn't love you you'll hear that in your head you're not God's son God can't love you. Look at what you've done. Look at your past. Look at the mistakes you've made. Look at how many people you have hurt. God can't really love you. Come on. Who are we fooling here? He he did the same thing with Eve. God didn't really say that. Come on. And now we have Jesus, and he hears the voice. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I love. And the next the next voice Jesus hears is if you're God's son, turn that bread and or turn that rock into a loaf of bread. We will hear the voice of God, but there will, there will be competing voices that will try to distract us and deter us. Um, but what I read in the uh, commentary was that I'm trying to think out the best way to say this. Uh, <laughs> well, to make it most effective. Um, okay, so he says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Ephraim, the Sumerian, who was an early church father, says that Satan was surprised by God's announcement. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan was like, What? That's your son? Because Satan thought he had already dealt with God's son. If you read the the lineage of, uh, and the commentary said that Luke puts, puts the stories in a profound order that we often miss, that he gives Jesus baptism, then he gives the genealogy of Jesus. In the genealogy of Jesus, this is very interesting to me. It says he was the son Jesus, so it was thought of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli, the son of Hat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jeniah, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of some other guys, the son of weird name. Long, long, long way. Let's see. Oh, the son of Judah. There's a name you might know. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahar, the son of Surug, the son of, I don't know, the son of Peleg, the son of Arfaxt, the son of Shem. Well, Shem must not have liked that kid, huh? What should we call him? Arfaxt. Are you sure? I was thinking John (laughs) the son of Shem the son of Noah the son of Lamech the son of Methuselah all of you Bible trivia people know Methuselah was the oldest man in your Bible the son of Enoch who was not because God took him the son of Jared oh he went to Jared not that Jared the son of (laughs) Mahalah the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Satan hears God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil thinks, according to Ephraim the Sumerian, I've already dealt with God's son. I've already defeated God's son. Who is this? Claiming sonship of God. Just in a a chapter earlier, when Jesus gets lost, you remember Jesus is lost, his parents lose him. (laughs) Oh, Bradley, don't say it. Um, (laughs) I didn't, aren't you proud of me? Um, Where was I going? Oh, his parents lose him, and they look for him for three days. They get a whole day's journey away, and they're like, okay, time to turn in. Where's Jesus? The promised one from an angel who miraculously came to me who I misplaced for an entire day. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's gone. Oh. They finally catch up to him and Mary's not happy with him. She's like, we have been searching everywhere for you. You, were, you don't know what you've done to your father and I. And Jesus says to her, Don't you know, I must be in my father's house. Jesus knew that he was God's son. I must be in my father's house. But then, kids, just so you don't get tempted to talk back to your parents when they get after you, right after that it says, and then he followed them and obeyed them. And then he grew and waxed strong in the Lord. So, don't be, when I Miles when I question you I don't want to hear. Well, you know the Lord has instructed me. Because that Jesus was a particular case. Jesus is going to instruct me to how to deal with you, not you how to deal with me. Okay. Sorry Miles, I don't know why that where that came from. So what Ephraim suggests then is instead of Satan being in the know about everything, is that he's completely caught off guard by the working of the Holy Spirit. Because I, I mentioned it last week, we, we, we give powers to the devil that he doesn't have. He's not everywhere at once. He's not, he doesn't have the attributes of God According to scripture, he's an angel. Hebrews plainly tells us in the first chapter that Jesus uh, is much higher than the angels. Like the whole first chapter of Hebrews, I was like, okay, enough about the angels. But then I thought when I was reading, I thought, well, maybe in the church he was writing to, they were worshiping angels or something. I don't know. But the devil thinks he's already dealt with God's son. The devil's confused. He's beaten God's son already. He already has the victory over mankind. They are forever under his rule. They are forever destined to destroy one another like Cain does to Abel. They are forever destined for war and for violence and hatred and bitterness. They are forever uh, not concerned for their brother. Am I my brother's keeper? The, The devil thinks that he has defeated the human race once and for all. But then he hears about this other son whose name is Jesus. And it's funny, he goes, the first thing he goes after Jesus with is hunger. That's what he got Adam with, right? The apple. Then he goes after Jesus with, You're hungry. What if every time I feel hungry, I thought, well, You know, that's probably the devil. <laughs> Maybe my summer clothes wouldn't be so snug when I tried to put them on after a long winter. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes about that. <laughs> Devil and hunger. <clears throat> what was I saying? Oh, he goes after Jesus with hunger. And, and this is the commentary that I read. It said, if you look at the punishment of Adam for sin, thorns and thistles, Will you toil in the ground, the sweat of your brow? Will you um, eat? And you came from dust, you're returning to dust. It's all desert language. Thorns, thistles, heat, dust. Adam is kicked out of paradise into the desert. Jesus goes back into the desert to redeem us. To bring us back into paradise. Adam is kicked out of paradise for eating the fruit. He's kicked out of paradise. Jesus goes back into the desert and he goes through the tests and he passes the test. And he brings us back to paradise. What is paradise? Oh, you told us earlier that comfort does not equal love. And now you're talking about paradise. Because when I think about paradise, I think about Shell Island in Florida, or I think about the Bahamas. Uh, Some of you have had the privilege of probably going to Hawaii. I have not been so blessed. Um, You might be thinking about that when I think about paradise. Paradise here is right relationship with the Father, is right relationship with God. Jesus goes into the desert and restores the relationship between God and man and redeems the desert, redeems temptation for us. When you're going through temptation, Jesus has redeemed that. Jesus has redeemed that. Just like Jesus didn't need to be baptized, he went into the waters to redeem the waters for us so that when we go into the waters, they're already made clean by Jesus. He goes into our temptation and redeems it for us. Amen. Amen. Ambrose, an early church father. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, A-M-B-R-O-S-E, if you want to check me. It says, as Adam is cast out of paradise into the wilderness, so Christ goes into the wilderness to lead us back into paradise. Jesus goes into the, to the desert and takes the temptation that Adam failed, that I fail, that you fail, and he redeems it. Amen. He redeems even our temptation. For since death, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Through Adam we inherit death, but through Jesus we inherit eternal life. That's my third point. Amen. Through Adam, we inherit death. Through Jesus, we inherit eternal life. Jesus went back into the desert and redeemed mankind. Aren't you glad? Amen. Okay, I've got some more points, but we're going to jump. We'll we'll, we'll just go through them real quick. Uh, Jesus says in Luke's gospel, uh, or John says in Luke's gospel of Jesus, the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When Adam's kicked out of the garden, angels are placed guarding paradise with flames, with flaming swords. To get back into paradise, we gotta go through the fire. We gotta have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit through our temptation back into paradise. Amen? Amen. There's more on that, but uh, well, we'll just read this. The way to paradise is through the Spirit, through the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do you want to know if you're walking by the Spirit? Do you exhibit these things in your life? Is your life a life of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if it's not, then let me be the first to tell you, you're not being led by the Spirit. If your life is a life of vengeance and revenge, and oh, they did that to me, they don't know who they're messing with. hmm. You're barking up the wrong tree, because I'm going to cloud up and rain on somebody. If that's the way you live your life, you can live your life that way. But don't pretend to be a Christian. In fact, don't tell people that you're a Christian. In fact, if you live your life that way, don't tell people you come to this church because I don't want them to know. But if, you, if, if you're led by the Spirit and you, your life is a life of love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, well then tell everybody, hey, come to the river. If you want to this leads figuratively and literally. Life like this leads to paradise. Yeah. It will lead to, to to right relationship with God, but it will also lead to a better life here on earth, a life led by love. Okay, I said I was going to move fast. Um, the Spirit will lead us just like it led Christ to places. <clears throat> okay, so that was that was one of my points. We need the Holy Spirit. And this next point could be a whole sermon into itself, so I'm just going to read the things. The Spirit will lead us, as it led Christ, to places where there are no food. To places where there are abuses of power. And to places where the Scripture is being manipulated. And He will lead us there to make things right. Last week I talked about how The devil, how the devil uses scripture to manipulate other people. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because doesn't it say in Psalms 91 that he will catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone? The enemy uses scripture to try to manipulate people. He did then and he still does. But the spirit, if we're led by the spirit, we'll be led to places where there's no food. And when we're led there, we're going to give out bread. And he's going to lead us to places where there's abuses of power. And when we're led there, we're going to bring justice. And the the, the Spirit will lead us to places where the Scripture is being manipulated. And when we're brought there, we'll make those wrongs right. Amen. Amen. So I'll close. Belovedness. Should not be confused with comfort. I'm going to ask um, Walker and Isaac if they'll grab the communion. We're going to take communion together this morning. If you're a visitor and you don't feel, don't know how we do communion, we have open communion in this church. Jesus offered communion to all those at the table, even to the ones who were about to deny him, even to the ones who were about to run. And they all did, they all ran. They all failed. We're all going to fail. But Jesus still offers us the cup. So we're going to take community together, but as we do, um, I'm going to ask Hannah and Jesse if they want to come play something.